With us today is uh, the Honorable Carl Rove, one of the smartest guys I know in Washington, uh, a, a Republican strategist, uh, worked with the, uh, the Bush team, uh, Deputy uh, Chief of Staff, uh, and uh, Carl Rove. Uh, this week, there was an interesting week. We had uh, debates in Milwaukee, um, and we had uh, uh, President Trump uh, do his own with Tucker Carlson. Uh, you start where you want to start. Should we start with the debates? Were there any clear winners, any clear losers? Well, um, no, not really. I mean, there are some people who, who did what they needed to do that night. Uh, Ron DeSantis, I thought, had a good opening. He had a good closing. He did a good job of focusing on his ability to get things done, represented by his record in Florida. So it, this was important for him to have a good night, and he had a good night. Mike Pence was the surprise of the evening. First of all, he was number one. He had 12 minutes out of the debate, more than anybody else on the stage. And uh, he was rather defiantly the Reagan conservative and uh, went out of his way to uh, to accept, uh, uh, you know, what he did. He explained what he did on January 6th and, to, and, and accept uh, arrows from the audience if they didn't want to, if they didn't like it. But he was defiant. And I thought that was good for him. Nikki Haley had a good night. Uh, strength, strong, some good lines. Uh, she engaged with uh, Vivek Ramsawani, who I think had. On, on points, had a good evening, and on substance, had a bad evening. Um, to representative of, of, of that was his comment that everybody else on the stage was bought and paid for, which I thought was so over the top that it was representative of his mindset. I'm the only perfect person on this stage, and he got he got whacked around. He got whacked around on on uh, you know flip flopping on things. He got whacked around on on comments that. Uh, you know, we ought to uh, Ukraine. We ought to get out of Ukraine because we're forcing Russia to align itself with China, and we need to stop aid to Israel because we need to have them stand on their own. And you know, with, uh, Taiwan after 2028, we don't care really whether China invades Taiwan as long as we've got our chip factories up and operating by then. I mean, it was like Nikki Haley in particular said, uh, you know, you have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. And he was robotic, I thought. Uh, very energetic, a high level of energy, big smile, talked very fast. But I think uh, Chris Christie got off one of the better lines of the night that he sounded like, Ch uh, you know, Chat GP GPT, and and uh, you know, it. Uh, Christie had uh, you know a mixed night. He was very good, surprisingly. I'm talking about his record in New Jersey. I suspect a lot of people learned something new about what he'd done as governor. He also prosecuted the case against. Uh, uh, Vivek, but you know he he was really hoping that Trump would show up. That would be the fireworks of the night, and obviously the former president uh, uh, didn't show. Asa Hutchison, Doug Burgum, both effective governors of smaller states. Nobody really knew them before they, they, that night, and I think they uh, you know uh, did a good job of presenting themselves. We'll see if they can meet the criteria for the second debate, but. Uh, and Tim Scott, you know, aspirational. He, he wasn't. He didn't speak as much as the others, but he had a nice aspirational, uplifting, positive message and and some flashes of humor that were a, a welcome addition. But look, this was not a debate. It was not without Trump there. It was unlikely to be a debate that had a determinative effect on the outcome of the election. But each of the several of the people took advantage of the night to build themselves into a better place. Uh, you know, than they were before the debate began. And that included probably the uh, 
most of the, the the crowd that it really has a shot at getting the, the, the into the second slot and, and slugging it out with uh, Donald Trump in Iowa, New Hampshire. How many people uh, are going to survive that debate? Uh, you think half of them, or uh, uh, when is the next scheduled debate, and how many will survive? Well, September 27th at the Reagan Library, and of the eight people there last night, my sense is that there are a couple who are in danger of not making uh, the the uh, the cut for the next one. Because what what will happen is the RNC will raise the number of donors that they have to have, and it will also raise the num- the level that they have to be at in national polls. So my sense is Asa Hutchison. And uh, and Doug Burgum are going to have trouble with the polling, and, and, and Asa may have difficulty with the number of donors. But my sense is that we're likely to have, uh, rather than eight, we're likely to have six uh, candidates at the uh, at, at the forum in, in CB Valley uh, about you know, four four and a half weeks from now. Understood. Uh, now, um, uh, did you get a chance to see any por- any uh, portion of the uh, Trump? Uh, uh, with uh, Tucker Carlson? I, I mean, did. There's a lot of BS around. There was 150 million people watching. But, you know, Elon Musk, when you own the company and, you own, you know, you don't know what the real number is. What yeah, do you we, think? we don't. Yeah. Well, I, look, I, I think it had a much smaller viewership uh, than the debates actually did because, I mean, you're talking about having to go on X and then find it and, you know, 45 minutes long. And so maybe, you know, the kids wander in and say, dad, come play with this," or, you know, mom, what's, what's for dinner. So, you know, I, I just, uh, we don't know, but clearly this rambling sort of thing that went lots of different directions. Uh, you know, it was the, it was Donald Trump's favorite hits, you know, the, does, Fox have, does, does, does Fox have a, a, a final number? How many people watched on Fox? Uh, I'm sure there is. I don't know what it is. Yes, I understand. Um, and uh, uh, the only uh, the, the Democratic end, you know, you're, you're uh, you you know what uh, you know you know politics. What the heck is going on in uh, Democratic uh, politics? Well, first let's let's say a little bit of word about the Democrats and the debate. I, I, I thought they uh, they sent Jamie Harrison, the National Democratic Chairman. To uh, to Milwaukee to counter, uh, you know, to counter the Republican debate. I thought it was a a, a buffoon-like performance. I mean, everybody is an extremist. You know, everybody loves uh, Joe Biden. The economy is great. Um, Did I mention that the Republicans are all extremists? And you know, it just was. You know, it was. I'm sure they they wasted a lot of money on it, but it wasn't particularly effective. Look, I, I think there's a disquietude inside uh, the Democratic ranks, the rank and file. I mean, you see it in these polls in which a majority, a, and in some instances, a significant majority of Democrats do not want Joe Biden to run again. And, uh, you know, if he runs, they'll be for him, but they prefer that he not run. And they really do have a stable of people who could run, uh, you know, whether it's the governors of California or Michigan or New Jersey or North Carolina, all of whom would like to run, or Colorado, uh, Governor Polis of Colorado would definitely like to run, or senators like Cory Booker, who's still making phone calls to people to, to let them know that he's still available, or Amy Klobuchar of of uh, Minnesota. They're, they're, they've got a lot of people who who would like to run, and you know some of the Clinton people are are booming for 
uh, Mitch Landrieu, the former mayor of New Orleans, who the infrastructures are for Biden. But, you know, they're stuck. As long as Joe Biden says, I want to do it, they're, they're sort of stuck. There's this interesting Democratic congressman from Minnesota named Dean Phillips, who's openly saying what is right, in my opinion, which is the Democrats would be better served if they had a open contest for the presidency and a new face at the top of the ticket. My view is the American people really want to turn the page on the 82, the guy who was 82 at the time of the election and the guy who will be 78 at the time of the election and turn this over to a new generation of younger leaders. And we're sort of in 1959, 1960. We have an admirable president. His name is Dwight Eisenhower, but he was born in the 19th century. And the American people said it's time to pick one of the two young veterans of World War II, both of them in their mid, early to mid-40s, and we chose between John Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And, we, and what happened is we started a 32-year period during which America was governed by men from the greatest generation, young men who had been in their 40s in 1960 and their early 40s. And it was you know Kennedy and then Johnson and then Nixon and then Ford and, and then Carter and then Reagan. And it ended with you know, George H.W. Bush, who was the youngest Navy fighter pilot in 1941, 40, early 1942. And, uh, and then we turned to the baby boomers. And he's defeated in 1992 by the young governor of, of, uh, of uh, Arkansas. And for 32 years, we've been governed by men from the baby boomer generation, or in the case of Joe Biden, the generation before the baby boomers, the so-called silent generation. And I think there's, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not a numerologist. There's nothing magic about 32 years, except maybe it is sort of the point at which people say, well, you know what, it's time to move to a younger generation to lead our country. And so Dean Phillips is talking about it. And uh, if somebody did enter the contest with respect and uh, to, for Joe Biden and talked about what it is they wanted to achieve in a positive and optimistic way, I think he'd have a horse race on his hands because I think the Democrats are ready for that. Does Robert Kennedy, is he credible? Does he have a chance? No. I mean, look, he's got a, he's got a good last name. The fact that, that he's a kook and getting, you know, every conspiracy theory that comes along, whether it's, you know, uh, you know the, the, the vaccines that we've used since the 1780s to combat some of the worst diseases that mankind has ever faced, that, that somehow or another that those, that those vaccines are somehow responsible for uh, grave illnesses is ridiculous. And, you know, he's a sort of 9-11 conspiracy nut. I mean, if there's any conspiracy that comes along, that guy's sort of in favor of it. But he's got a famous last name. There's not a single member of his family that I think that's going to vote for him. I, I know some of his cousins. They're really not voting for him. But the fact that he's getting 20 or 25 percent is a sign of how Democrats are like, you know what, I'm open to an alternative, and he seems to have a famous Democratic name. But no, he's not a credible candidate. We got one minute left. What would you like to tell the American people Sunday morning? And uh... Well, I've got it. This is self-serving, but I have a long-form piece in, in, in the weekend Wall Street Journal I commend to you. The politics of America is broken today, but it's been worse before. And I sketch out in this in this piece, um, and how broken it's been at many times in our history in which it's been worse than today. And we ought to, you know, it's one thing to acknowledge that we're in a bad place today. It's another thing to think that that's an unusual situation and, and that, we, that we face doom as a result. We have been in worse places before, and the good common sense of the American people eventually 
makes itself felt, and we right the country and put it in the, in, in the right direction. This has happened in our lifetimes, and so in the lifetimes of many people alive today in the late 1960s and early 70s, when the country looked like it was broken, our politics was uh, uprooted by a very unpopular war and a national scandal and a fight over civil rights and a sexual revolution, and it looked like you know, we had we elected a, a, a well-meaning guy from Georgia, a peanut farmer, and it looked like the country was, you know, on the on the decline. And along came a sunny, optimistic B actor from California named Ronald Reagan, and he put the country back in the right place. And this has happened several times, many times during the course of our country's history. And we ought to have optimism that, that as bad as politics is today, we can come out of it. Carl Rove, thank you, a Republican strategist. Uh... Thank you for your analysis on a Sunday morning, and God bless you, and God bless America. God bless America.